You know, a few years ago, I was at a basketball game with a good friend of mine. Um, his son was uh, in junior high at the time, and he was playing, and he was in one of those select leagues, which means it was highly competitive. And um, Todd and I were sitting watching the before the game, and uh, his son's team came out first and uh, were warming up. And they were typical junior high kids. I mean, when they when they hit the floor, they started doing layups. They missed about every other layup. Uh, they missed some passes. They tripped over their feet. You know, junior high stuff that uh, they're just uh, out there going. And so we're watching, and uh, pretty soon the uh, visiting team came out. And when they hit the court, friends, what you noticed right away was they were huge. I mean, they were huge. Every position, they were bigger and taller, you know, five and six inches taller. And there were two guys that were at least a foot taller than anybody else out on, on the court, and they probably had 40, 50 pounds on them, easy. And it kind of looked like junior high versus the NCAA is what it looked like. And so they, they started out with their layups. It was anything but typical. The crowd went silent when the first three guys went up for their layup. They slam dunked. And then Todd's son's team stopped what they were doing and were mesmerized by these guys. It was it was amazing, amazing thing to watch. Um, the game started, and after the very first possession, you knew that it was going to be a long, long day. I mean, the opposing team brought the ball down the court, three easy passes, slam dunk, and you thought, whoa. And then the defense started, full court press, and every play resulted in a turnover, just about the entire game, to be honest. And uh, within just about a minute, it was 10 to nothing, and Todd and I, we, we, we love playing hoops, and uh, we're like, he needs to call timeout. That coach needs to call timeout. You know, get get the team settled down. Get them get them ready. And we, and we look over, and the coach has his back to the game, and he's drawing diagrams for all the guys on the bench. And no kidding, through most of the game, he had his back to the game, and he's he's drawn for the guys on the bench and just ignoring what's happening out there. At one point in the game, it was forty to nothing. When all was said and done. The NCAA team scored over 100 points. Todd's son scored six points, the only points that their team scored. And it just struck me that the coach, he missed everything. He missed the three scoring plays because he had his back to the game. And what I want to suggest is we have an incredible game going on here. But for too long... Too many churches have turned their back on the game. Game's going on, but they're not engaged. And I want to suggest to you that successful churches, that offensive-minded churches, do not turn their back on the game. They don't turn their back on the action. They come to play. You know, the very first church that we're told about was in Acts 2. And... That church had game. In fact, they had so much game that they grew by 3,000 people within the first 10 minutes. 
I mean, they're making pass. They're advancing the ball. They're shooting threes and lighting it up big time because they wanted to play. But too many people just don't want to play. Don't, don't want to take the, the discipline that's necessary and the commitment and the blood and the sweat and the tears. And I want to say to you that the New Testament never tells us to turn our back on the game of reaching out. You know, we're, we're to get serious about it. We're to hit the court and we're to hit the boards and we're to hit them hard. And we're supposed to have some offensive energy in us. In other words... I don't believe you could just show up and kind of roll the ball out on the court and hope things go well. See what happens. The, the fact is, we are hitting a highly competitive court. And I believe that churches that understand the strengths and weaknesses of their opponents, that when you understand that, you can play ball. You know, Acts 17, it kind of shows us the competitive nature of the church. You know, this game that we're involved in. The Apostle Paul, he found himself in in Athens. And he's in this city, and he's walking around, and literally it is littered with altars all over. It's got idols everywhere he turns. And, And Paul begins to preach about the good news of Jesus Christ, about the resurrection, about how Christ can, can change your life. And the audience, I mean, he had a couple different audiences. One, he had the Epicureans, and they were kind of into pleasure. And then there were the Stoic philosophers of that day, and they were into self-discipline. And basically, Paul rattles their cages with his words. And he he ultimately gets invited to to speak at a place called Mars Hill. And um, Mars Hill literally means battleground of the gods, a a place of competition. And so Paul, he walks around the city. He's getting a pregame strategy. And he looks around and he sees all these different idols. And there's one idol that caught his eye. Because there was an inscription under it that said, to an unknown God. And so, Paul's trying to connect with these Athenians, these men and women. And they, you have to understand that uh, basically they were trying to cover all their bases. And so, if there were any idols out there, they, they put them up. And they were so unsure of things that they decided they would put one to an unknown God just to cover themselves on this one. That they they would have this unknown God, and that way that would take care of everything in case they had missed it. Paul took the opportunity to engage his audience. He engaged them for the kingdom of God. And so he talks to the Athenians uh, about this unknown God. He says, I saw that, and I want to tell you about that unknown God. I want to tell you about who he is. And he begins to talk about Jesus Christ. He he talked about the things that were around the people, things that they could identify with. He talked to them in a way that they could understand. And friends, that proved to be a winning strategy, big time. As a church, 
we, as a church, we need to know what we're up against. We need to know what's at stake. You know, we're fighting for eternity. We are fighting for souls. We're battling against a, a society that's into meism and materialism and pleasurism. And Scripture says, you know, we're to know our opponents. We're to know the environment that we're ministering in. That we're to get ready. We're to have a game plan. In other words, we, we don't just go and hit the competitive floor without any game plan or any idea what we're doing. The fact is, as a church, we're to have a developed strategy before we ever begin the game. And I've said this over and over. Our strategy is pretty simple. We exist, the church exists, to reach people for Jesus Christ and to grow people in their faith. And why do we grow people in their faith? I'm listening. So we can reach people for Jesus Christ. And we grow in our faith, so what? We can reach people for Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we mature, is so we can reach people. You know, one day, a lawyer caught Jesus. And he catches him in the street and he says, What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus boils it down. Matthew 22 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Later, Jesus is going to kind of clarify this. He's going to crystallize it, I believe, in that after his resurrection, right before he ascends into heaven, Matthew 28, Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everything we do in life, if you're a Christian, should be about God, should be about worship. The most important thing that I can do and you can do is love God. You love God, what? With all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And why do we do that? So that it gives us strength so we can grow, so that we can hit the court with some offensive octane, so that we can reach out to our neighbors, so that you can share the good news. But friends, I'll tell you, it's really easy to just turn your back on the game, to kind of gather up in a holy huddle, so to speak, gather by the bench. And we're all convinced, and we're all in it together. And you, and you kind of, you know, say to the River Bend area, yeah, who cares? You know, put up a sign outside, enough, no more. We don't want anybody. But I'll tell you, that's not going to happen. That's not why the church exists. I mean, sometimes churches get it backwards. They think they exist for themselves. But the church doesn't exist. Faith fellowship doesn't exist for us. It exists so that we can reach out. You know, we've got to have a game plan. You know, the game plan is pretty simple. 
reach as many people as you can for Christ, for God. In other words, we're never going to put up a sign that says enough. Might put up a big sign that says more, you know. Vacancies. <laughs> we got a place for you. But worship. Worship should be the most important thing we do. It's where we get our fuel. It's how we grow. And as we worship, see, I believe in that worship, things begin to happen. It affects how you live. It keeps you focused on God and other people. It gets your eyes off yourself. And I know this one's not popular. I mean, spiritual maturity, if you're spiritual and you're mature, you get your eyes off yourself. Not a popular statement in our society. In other words, when I'm in tune with God, when I'm growing in my faith, I begin to see other people. I begin to focus on God. I begin to focus on others. And that's kind of the design around here, to focus on God, focus on other people. And I would argue, again, that's a game-winning strategy to help people grow in their faith, to help them in, in a process, so to speak. And what is, what is that process? Well, most, most of us start out as a spectator. At some point, if you back up in your Christian walk or your life, at some point, you sit on the bench and you just kind of take things in. You know, once in a while, you show up. It's kind of a hit and miss. You check things out. And don't misunderstand me. It's okay. If you're a spectator this morning, it's okay because we all start somewhere. And I want people to feel free to come and go, to engage and disengage. You know, I want this to be a place where spectators can come, where they can see what's happening, what's going on, you know, what God might be about. And I know as I say that, there, there are some that would go, well, now, wait a minute. Now... The church, the church shouldn't be into entertainment. You know what I say to that? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, the word entertainment does it means to capture someone's attention for for an extended period of time to to engage them with whatever it is. I mean, it's what Jesus did. Jesus kept people's attention. And it attracted spectators. Spectators are good. You know, now I like the word entertainment, I-N-N-E-R, entertainment, better, because it means entertaining the heart. It means engaging the soul. It means getting the mind captive to think about whatever it is. But entertainment to connect our spectators. And what happens as people are entertained, it begins this movement in their life where they move from being a spectator to being a fan. Now, what do fans do? Fans cheer, yes? I mean, they make a lot of noise. All right, man, way to go. Woo! You know, I get excited about some of the teams I, I cheer for, you know. Do you guys get excited? We got spirit. Yes, we do. 
we got spirit, how about you? We got spirit, yes we do. We got spirit, how about you? You know. Anytime I go to a professional ball game, I get jazzed. And I begin to think about what it would be like to play on that team. I mean, the last ball game, basketball game I went to, I saw the Lakers and the Bulls play. And the whole time I'm thinking, what would it be like to hit the hardwood and play with pros? What would it be like to take a pass from Derek Fisher and put it up for a game winner or feed Kobe Bryant for a last-second shot? I thought about what it would be like to be coached by Phil Jackson. Get a chance to play in the Staples Center. Man, that gets me jazzed up. And being a fan, being a fan's okay. It's fun. You know, I'm a Steeler fan, a Pirate fan. And I get excited about that. And that's, that's a good thing. And we have fans around here. You know, they go, all right, children's zone. You know, yay band. You know, yay guys in the yellow in the parking lot. You know, especially last week. <laughs> you know, give me a C. Give me an O. Give me an F. Give me an F. Give me an E. Give me an E. What's that spell? Coffee. Woohoo! Yeah, coffee. And you're thinking, I think he's had too much coffee today, right? But seriously, we got fans around here. I mean, what does that mean? It means they're more than spectators. They're making some noise. They're positive. They're encouraging. And I'll tell you, fans are great. Fans are great because they get excited about the vision. They get excited about growth. They get excited about things that are happening at Faith Fellowship. And I find them a tremendous source of encouragement. But there's a danger. There's a danger of remaining a fan too long. Rather than having a purpose in life, rather than moving to the next step, what happens is we get stagnant. And I want to suggest you've got to be careful here. You've got to be careful with the clapping. Because if you aren't careful, what can happen is you can become a fair-weathered fan. I mean, fair-weathered fans have no commitment. Fair-weathered fans do not invest themselves in the game. It's really about how the team does, right? That's how fair-weathered fans are. When things are going great, we cheer for the team. Yeah, way to go, team. But the minute things don't go our way, we boo, we hiss. We choose to cheer for a different team. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's okay to be a fan. It's okay to be a fan, but you've got to realize that there's some dangers if you don't move to the next level. Now, fans, I said, we're always thinking about what would it be like to be on that team? What would it be like to hit that court? And the difference between being a fan and being a part of the team is big, isn't it? 
big difference between me sitting in the stands and cheering for a team and being part of the team. And I know as I'm talking about this, it's tough in our society because I I think membership has kind of lost its meaning in our society. You know, it's about like handshakes and membership dues and getting our name in the book or whatever. But I want to suggest it's a lot more than that. It's a difference between like dating and marriage. It's a difference between being strategic in our lives or stagnant. You know, it's about commitment. It's about being a member of the team. It's about putting on the uniform and showing everyone what you stand for and who you stand with. It's a statement. Now, if I told you today, I said, I play in the NBA. We'll pretend, okay? But if I said, hey, I play in the NBA, you would probably go, oh, really? What team do you play for? I say, well, not really on a team. I just play in the NBA. And you'd probably go, are you crazy? You know, you high? What's wrong with you? But friends, if you're a Christian, you should be on a team. And you should be in a local church. If it's not this church, wherever it is that you call home. But I want to be clear on this. The fact is, you can be a member at whatever church. But that does not make you a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you should be on a team and you should be playing. Because it's the place where you can reach your full potential. It's where you can use your God-given gifts. The fact is, you cannot have real community if you're not part of a team. You can't play the game alone. You need to be on a team, wherever that is. Because the local church, the local church is what Jesus Christ initiated and said, you know what, this is where you hit the court. This is where you play the game. This is where... Life happens. It's on that court, on that field that the church provides. You know, Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not overtake it. Jesus is saying, I'm the foundation of this church. The church is a vehicle for carrying out the mission of sharing the good news going out and making a difference in people's lives. And he says, nothing's going to stand in the church's way. There isn't anything. The church is pointing people to God. It's getting people introduced to Jesus Christ. And I've said this before, we're going to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I mean, our, our values as a church and our vision as a church... I believe, reflect that commitment. You know, this church makes it a point uh, of pointing people and saying, you know what's important? It's a relationship, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's following in in baptism. It's being in community, in small groups, and, and getting on a team and serving. You know, serving, giving of ourselves. In other words, we have a strategy. It's not, hey, Let's get a basketball, see what happens, you know. And I'll tell you, we know when we hit that court, we may get pressed. 
the entire game. But I'll tell you what, I'm not turning my back on the game. I'm not turning my back on the game. I'm not letting go of the game. Spectator to fan, from fan to member, from team member to player. You know, I have never heard or met a professional athlete that says, my dream is to make the team and sit on the bench. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I played ball in school. I played ball in college. And I'll be honest with you, I never wanted to sit on the bench. I didn't want to be down for two minutes. didn't matter. I wanted to be on the court. I wanted to play, and I wanted to give it everything that I had. You know, God has not called us to sit on the bench and to kind of watch the game from the bleachers. God has called us to be a part of the team to suit up, to play, to step up our game, to hit that court and hit it hard and get involved in a thing called ministry. See, spectators say, that church. Fans say, this church. Members say, our church. And players, they go, my church. My church. We want people to move from spectator to player. You know, Jesus didn't come to watch the game. He came to play. You read in Scripture, Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples. Go. In other words, get in the game. That's what it's all about, you know. Players understand what it means to hit the court. Players understand what it means to hit the net. You know, it's about winning people to Christ. And to do that successfully, everybody's got to find the right position. I mean, I'll use me as an example. There are a lot of things I enjoy doing. And... There, there's quite a few things I can do fairly well. But, friends, I can get involved in so many things that I kind of have maybe a decent message or okay leadership. But the fact is, if I'm doing all this other stuff, I can't put the ball through the net. In other words, I've had to make a decision and I continue to try and force myself and to work at it, to stay in position, to say, you know what's really important is leadership and speaking. Leadership and speaking. You know, and, and when I do that, I'm able to bring my A game. But if I get doing all this other stuff, everything kind of falls apart. You know, I would ask you today, what is that one thing, or maybe two things, that gets you in the right position? You know, where you are doing something, you are making a dent, you know, that you are changing things. You're doing something only you are designed to do. You know, try stuff around the church. Listen to people. 
You know, learn to ask people questions. You know, ask the right people the right questions. You get the right answers ultimately. You know, hey, what am I good at? You know, what, what can I do well? And then and, and focus on your strengths. There's this fallacy in, in our society that what you do is you work on all your weaknesses. And, and studies have shown that's wrong. It's all wrong. You always work on your strengths, and it makes everything stronger. Use your strengths to find your position. The number one way that we grow is to live beyond ourselves. And part of living beyond ourselves, as we take that step, it puts us in the right position. You know, at this church, there are a lot of different venues you can get involved in, different opportunities to to play, to hit the court. You know, it's expanding all the time. In fact, sometimes it's moving so fast, I I can't keep up with it. But there's something I've noticed about great players. Great players are always studying the game. They're learning all the time. They're using that knowledge to to grow. You know, anybody that knows me very well knows I love playing hoops. I look forward to that. And, And I have played quite a bit through the years. And I have always made it a point of learning new things all the time. Now, I'm going to admit this publicly, I guess. I play ball with guys now that are like half my age. And they're faster. They jump higher. They're quicker. But I hold my own out there. And and it's interesting when I get a blocked shot or steal or I make a pretty good move. These young guys will go, how did you block me? I can jump a foot higher than you. You know, how'd you get past me? How'd you get that shot off? And I've got a standard. Anybody that's played ball with me knows it. I go, because I've always wanted to learn. I've made it a practice of learning. Now, I always wanted to learn from people that actually played. I've never been interested in learning from somebody that sat on the bench or had some theory about playing. But I wanted to talk and learn from people that had serious game that was way past where I'm at. And through the years, I've been able to learn from those players. You know, Kevin Gamble, I played ball with him for years. He played for the Celtics. And in high school and college, we'd play ball, and then years later, we played at the Y through the summers when he was off. And uh, I would get pointers from him. And then I got a chance to play with Chris Curran, who uh, traveled with the Globetrotters for several years. He was with the Generals. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot of techniques. Probably one of the best players I've ever, ever seen play. But... What I found as I studied and learned, that wasn't enough, really. I really needed the experience. And then it began to kind of set in. I could learn learn the game. But I think great players are always learning. I think great players also understand the spectators are always watching. You know, there is no timeouts in this game we're involved in. There's no halftime. 
You are being watched. If you're a Christian, you are being watched 24-7. And people are watching what you do. They're watching what you say. They're watching how you play. And friends, I want to tell you, it has eternal impacts on the spectators and the fans as they watch you. Great players are passionate about a game. You know, Jesus, in Luke 15, he tells three stories back-to-back about the lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. There's nowhere else in Scripture that, that we have Jesus telling three stories back-to-back to illustrate one point. And you know what that point was? That lostness matters to God. That heaven rejoices when one person's found. It's all about putting the ball through the net. You know, how do you know? How do you know when you win? Well, you know you win when you put the ball through the net more than the next person. You know, it's having a passion for putting the ball through the net. It's having a passion for reaching out to lost people. You know, there's not much that I'm willing to just fight over. But one of the things I'll fight over is the strategy of this church. That is the game that we play. That it is about lost people. And you ought to fight over it too. You know, don't ever let someone trash the vision of this church. Don't ever sit silently by as someone goes, you know what? That church, they're just not very deep. They're not very mature there. Because, friends, it's all about reaching lost people. Giving it all. Willing to do whatever it takes on the court to touch people's lives. Great players have passion. And great players adapt to change. Shifting all the time. Expanding. Stretching. You know, it's important to adapt to change. We're we're pretty good at it. I mean, we moved a lot getting here, didn't we? A lot of changes. And there are more changes coming on every, every day. And as culture changes, the way we connect with people changes. Now, hear me. The message doesn't change. The Bible doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. God doesn't change. But the way we reach people will continue to change as society changes. In other words, we need to be tracking society and staying ahead of the curve so that you can, as a church, we can meet people where they're at, where they're struggling, where where the need is. Great players adapt to that. And great players are unselfish. You know, the words one another and each other. Over 50 times in the New Testament, those words are listed. Friends, there is no such thing as a non-ministering Christian. We're to be other-oriented. We're to be unselfish. We're to engage God and engage people. You know, you talk to people that have studied the NBA greats. And they will tell you, any of the greats, I don't care which one you pick out, they were more interested in the team winning than they were individual accolades. And friends, I tell you, this church is loaded with people that unselfishly give them themselves. 
I marvel sometimes at just the, the level of dedication and unselfishness that happens behind the scenes. You know, people that understand what it means to put the ball through the net. People that are passionate about the game, willing to change. Why? Because people matter. People matter. Now, there's one more level. We said player. Players move from players to being coaches at some point, being leaders. And if you look at your life, you are a coach somewhere. And if you're not sure, you're like, I don't know about that, just look at where you have influence, and that's where you're coaching. Great coaches take people through the system. You know, healthy churches have kind of an ecosystem in them that they help people move from spectator to fan, from fan to team member, from team member to player, and then ultimately some go on and become coaches. That's just the way it is. You know, that's the, the pinnacle, I guess. Coaches have gone through all the stages. They know what it means to score. They understand what it means to be on the court. And what they do is they help other people develop their skills. And I know some people think, Everything that happens around here just, like, happens. You know, it's like, wow, that was kind of cool. How'd that happen? But I want to tell you, it's a lot of people, a lot of coaches, a lot of players that are working, and the coaches are training and teaching to make that stuff happen. Once in a while, somebody asks me, they go, well, what's your strategy? I mean, what's your goal? And I was thinking about when... uh, my heart kind of broke when Shaq got traded to the Miami Heat. I'm a Shaq fan. And uh, I remember the media was swarming around him. And they kept asking, they said, what are you planning to do when you get to Miami? You know, what's your, what's your strategy? And his response, it was so Shaq-like, to win. That's what he said, to win. And friends, our goal is to win. It's to win people for Christ. And as God leads us, we're going to continue to play. We're going to continue to reach out. We're going to continue to leave it all on the floor. You know, I want to thank many of you that have not turned your back on the game, that you understand the strategy, that you've done whatever you can to move that forward. This church, I think, has done a great job letting coaches coach and players play. Why? Because it's where the game is played. It's a process, though. It's a process. It doesn't just happen. Process of growth. You know the stages we talked about are stages of growth. Fan, spectator, member, player, coach. And here's my question for you today. Are you growing? Are you growing? Are you doing what you need to do to step down out of the bleachers? You know, I I don't know what growth would mean for you today, but, you know, for some of you, maybe it means just establishing a personal relationship with Christ. 
You know, others, it may mean taking a step in baptism or joining the church. Maybe, maybe it's getting out of the bleachers and sharing the good news with a friend or inviting a friend to, to church. Maybe it's signing up for player status and finding a place to serve in the church. Maybe you're already a player. Maybe God's been pressing on you to step up and start coaching, take on a, a larger sphere of influence. I can't tell you what that is. I mean, only you really know the answer to that. But here's what I would say to you. Whatever that step is, take it. Do it. Go. When it comes to the church, there's a game going on. And we need to hit the court hard and discover what it means to put the ball through the net. Pretty simple strategy. And you get a choice. Turn your back on the game. Watch the game. Or get in the game. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, I pray you would open our hearts. God, we thank you for the opportunity to play on the greatest court imaginable. Court you call the church. God, I pray that you would use us in a mighty way that when we get to the end of our lives, we look at that scoreboard. We know our life mattered. God, I thank you for every opportunity you give us. God, I pray for every person here, whether spectator or fan or member or player or coach. God, that you would give us the strength, the courage, the wisdom. Just keep growing. Keep moving through the process. God, use us to mark eternity. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.